God's word is electrifying to me. I just, oh. The one exciting thing about being in this series is how much time I've gotten to spend in God's word. So um, I'm just, uh, yeah, I love it. Tonight, the topic is God's got your back. Now, did anybody want to come to hear that tonight? Me too. Um, What do you think about when you think of God's got your back? Or just anybody. Anybody having your back. What does that mean to you? What are images or ideas that come into play? Faithfulness, trust. What? Full on trust. You know, you kind of support. You kind of like, you kind of think about it like got your back. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there there's an implication there, isn't it? It's just sort of like, it's kind of looking out for you that nobody, you know, would come up behind you, right? In some ways, or or attack you. Or there's also, like, when you think about got your back, you know, so you think about that, like somebody looking out that nobody stabs you in the back, right? Or something like that. But also that they're backing you up that, you know, whatever you're walking into, they're behind you and not running, not running away. I mean, those are some of the images that come to my mind. Is that like part of the picture? So think about what it means when God Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, has got your back. Wow. I mean, would you be afraid to go forward with God behind you? Or somebody attacking you from behind. I mean, you could not ask for anyone better to have your back than the creator of all of life, the heavens and the earth. And the reason I titled it that is because, as we've been talking about in this, throughout this series, there are many times that we don't have control over, you know, well, we don't have control over a lot of things, but that we face difficult difficulties in life, whether they're hard circumstances, whether there are people that oppose us or against us, circumstances that are challenging and seem insurmountable. These are the kinds of things that, that whether you walk with God or don't walk with God, you're going to face these things in life, aren't you? So it's understanding that through adversity and through difficulty and through challenges, that we have God Almighty who has our back. And so as we're going through the Old Testament, this, the section that we're going to be focusing on today is the very exciting book of Daniel in the Bible. And um, I, got, I got some juicy Bible tonight to go over. The book of Daniel's amazing. And one of the reasons that I wanted to focus on it, because as you know, we're, we're going through an overview of the whole Old Testament, And so this next section we had finished off in Job. Um, We've got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, Song of Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. So I want to kind of give you a little bit of an overview before we're getting to the book of Daniel. But I, I decided to focus on this because there are some amazing accounts that I think are going to speak to your heart and be relevant where you really, and faith building. Because one of the things in the book of Daniel is that Daniel, as well as um, three of his friends that were uh, renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel was also 
name Belteshazzar, but usually people call him Daniel. And um, so those are the names that they're probably, mo uh, the four of them are most known by. But they were in a situation and a predicament, as, as we had talked about, where um, where Jerusalem fell and Nebuchadnezzar carried away a whole bunch of the Israelites and, to Babylon. And so Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four of the people that were taken captive from their home. If you can imagine that, you're living a nice, peaceable life in your home here in San Jose or, you know, wherever you live in the area. And imagine somebody coming, grabbing you and taking you to another country. That you don't speak the language, you don't know the people, you haven't been there, their customs are foreign. Would this be an ideal circumstance? Talk about a challenge. This, is, this, is a, this would be a life circumstance that it would feel challenging maybe to trust God, wouldn't you say? You know, or even say, where is God in this? And so there, So what we're going to do is we're going to hit some of the highlights and, and overview of this book and see how God worked mightily in their lives. But before we get that, I kind of want to give you some historical context. Since also through this series, I, I really want you guys to get familiar with how the Old Testament fits together, the timeline of it, um, Etc. So that when you're reading, you'll have a sense of how it's put together and maybe makes a little bit more sense. So we're going to go back to the timeline that is a part of the program. And uh, I'm also going to put it up here on the chart and kind of walk you through um, a review of, uh, of where we've come from and what... Oops. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh, see, I got a little pointer now today. Okay. <laughs> so I want to show you where this is and kind of give you an overview of some of, uh, some of these various books uh, that we left off with. Now, after it's the Bible and how the books are put together are not chronological. I'm going through it in the order that they're placed in the Bible, but I'm trying to explain to you the timeline of them. So after Job, uh, we have the book of psalms and or or psalms which is a collection of prayer and praise that's inspired by god and so much of it is attributed to david and uh, a number of other psalms are attributed to aesop and so they very much are like god giving the inspiration but they're about worship and prayer prayer and praising god they go everything from it's amazing when you read them because they go from where are you, God, that kind of prayer, to thankfulness and praise. And so it's an incredible part of the Bible that's very inspired. It also sounds very much like tongues with interpretation because tongues with interpretation, the interpretation is prayer and praise and giving of thanks and worshiping God. But it's inspired by God, so it has in effect, that's not like our regular prayer. Well, Psalms is very much like that, and so it's an amazing book to read. Then we've got the book of Proverbs that comes after that that is attributed to Solomon. It's considered a book of wisdom, particularly for young people, so that's also an amazing book of the Bible. And then we've got Ecclesiastes, which is also attributed to Solomon, and it's, very, it's a book that has sort of a, 
an existential vibe to it if anybody's into that thing like I am. So, um, you know, where it ponders existence, and in particular, the theme of it is that no matter what you could think of that's worthwhile in life, everything's pretty much meaningless without God. And that's the book of Ecclesiastes. Then we have the book of Song of Songs, which is also thought to be written by Solomon, and it's about romantic love, and sometimes people look at it as a parallel to God's love and relationship with his people, but it definitely has an emphasis on romantic love. And then Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, he's a prophet that we're going to, we've actually, timeline-wise, we're actually kind of going back where we've got Isaiah right here. So you can see that this came before, because we kind of remember in the book of Kings, um, we kind of went through the fall of all the kings. We kind of gave you kind of an overview of all these. These are mostly bad kings here. We have the northern kingdom of, of, uh, of Israel and then the southern kingdom. Remember, they split right here of Judah. And so earlier, the northern kingdom fell. Uh, the Assyrians uh conquered and then the southern kingdom there were still some kings left and Isaiah wrote here um, uh, about and he prophesied and warned people about that they needed to come back to God or that or that they would uh, be destroyed and so um, that's the book of Isaiah and then we also have it's kind of interesting also in Isaiah because a lot of the things that are amazing about the Bible is that it predicts things that happen exactly um, like hundreds of years before and even thousands of years before they actually come to pass. And so Isaiah actually prophesies really detailed and specifically about Cyrus uh, Who's who's becomes the king of Babylon, restore you know restoring Israel and opening the door for that. And he he wrote about it 150 years before it happened. So it's just one of the more exciting things in Isaiah. And then after that, we've got um, uh, Jeremiah, who's a prophet that ha- that happened during the last five five kings of Judah. Here we've got that. Uh, one, two, three, four, five. So we've got, where's Jeremiah on this? There we go, Jeremiah, right here. There's his reign. And he prophesied during, well, no, actually not all the kings are listed here. But anyway, he prophesied during the last five kings uh, before the destruction of Jerusalem. And um, he's considered to be the weeping prophet because um, there was a lot of, he was just really upset about the, the mess that it was in terms of how people had forsaken God and, and prophesied about the coming of the destruction of Jerusalem, which it did happen. And then Lamentations is also thought to be written by Jeremiah, and it's all about lamenting and all about sadness and grieving about, about what happened in terms of the carrying away uh, of people to Babylon. And then Ezekiel was somebody that was carried away, and he was, that's the next book of the Bible. These are considered the major prophets that we're talking about, and they're not major because they're more important. It's just that they wrote bigger books of the Bible. There's more in them. And Ezekiel was called to minister during the exile. He was one of the people exiled when um, Nebuchadnezzar came and carried everybody around away. See, this is the exile period right here, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the book of Daniel. Um, We also see, let's see, on the chart, Um, Some of the other books of the Bible that we're not going to be, I'm going to look at this list because it's just easier to read than than that chart up there. Um, But during this time period that um, 
We've got Jeremiah happened around the same time as Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. And then Isaiah was also around the same time as Micah. So some of the other prophets that we're not going to be reading about, in, they're called minor prophets because they're the little books that come towards the end of the Old Testament uh, or around this time period. And so anyway, that kind of gives you a little bit of the historical background of it. And so we're going to pick up in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, what happens is Nebuchadnezzar, the king, winds up carrying all these people. He decides to, uh, I guess, he, he takes a lot of the citizens of the uh, southern kingdom of Judah and carries them to Babylon. But then he decides that he wants to groom some of the smartest, most talented people to teach them about the ways of their culture in Babylon. So th- some of the people that were chosen were Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego, but he changes all of their names. Well, actually, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the names he changes them to. And then he has this dream, and he tells all of his sorcerers in Babylon, he says, I want you to tell me not just my interpretation of the dream, because then I think you're going to fool me. He says... For me to believe that you're going to give me the right interpretation of the dream, you need to tell me what I dreamed and then tell me, you know, what the interpretation is. And his sorcerers say, nobody can do that, king. It's not possible. Tell us the dream and we'll tell you what the interpretation is. He says, no, I'm not telling you the dream. If this is real, you tell me what the dream is and then you interpret it. And they say, it can't be done. So he says, okay, you're all going to die. So he orders... He orders an order throughout his kingdom to kill all the wise men, which are the sorcerers, magicians, etc. Now, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the four, four people that were trained to be wise men in the kingdom that came from Judah. And they get word of this, and we're going to pick it up in Daniel 2, in verse 14, of what happens. Um, oops. Yeah, here we go. In verse 14, it says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke with him, spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for times so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends. Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That was their real names, but most of the time in the Bible, they're actually called by uh, the names that Nebuchadnezzar gave them. And verse 18, it says, He urged them to plea for mercy from from, from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. So you see right away what you love, and we're going to see this a lot about all four of these guys, is their heart for seeking God out when there's a crisis that the first thing that he does is he not only goes to God in prayer, but he also asks for other people to be with him in prayer about this. This is a pretty dire situation that you would all of a sudden get someone showing up with the order to, you know, put you to death and your friends. And so he immediately gets them together to pray for mercy from God. And then during the night, in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, 
Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. So I love his heart of praise. You can see that, of course. But as a result of their prayer, God gives him the dream. Now, the dream is this dream where the king had seen this massive statue. And, <clears throat> and so Daniel explains the statue, but... This is amazing because one of the remarkable things about the book of Daniel is there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy of really specific details of things to come hundreds of years later after this was written. This is, ex this is absolutely documented historically by scholars, etc., about when the book of Daniel was written, which was around 539 B.C. And the prophecy of this dream is actually vividly describes all the kingdoms that come after this. The head, for instance, of this statue, the gold head, re represents the Neo-Babylonian Empire. The silver, the, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire, which is Cyrus, which I told you about, was, was uh, prophesied in Isaiah. The bronze represented the Greek Empire, Alexander the Great. The iron represented the Roman Empire. And from... Um, and from the gold to the iron, basically the statues like gold and, and silver and bronze, it's, you know, and iron, represent these four kingdoms, and a rock comes down and smashes them, and they all disintegrate. And they absolutely describe the differences in the kingdoms of, of descending in terms of power and grandeur. It's an amazingly detailed prophecy. This is one of many prophecies to come. And then it goes on to prophesy about the coming of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, and that will be the final kingdom that will destroy all kingdoms. The book of Daniel is amazing <coughs> in these prophecies, and scholars and, and Bible critics have oftentimes tried to belittle this, but there's so much documentation on when this book was written and on the spe specifics of these prophecies that have come to pass. It's, it, the, uh, it's an amazing book that gives credibility to the Bible as a holy book. It's the only holy book that prophesies things that are historically verifiable hundreds and sometimes thousands of years up before they come about, and they come about exactly as it's spoken. He even says, amen is right. It even talks about things like in the Roman Empire that didn't happen until 63 B.C., it's almost 500 years later after this book was written, and it's detailed out. It, in chapter 9, verse 25, it specifically talks about the coming of Jesus Christ, that he will come 483 years after the decree to restore Jerusalem, which hadn't even been happened yet. There's no evidence that there was going to be a decree about the restoration of Jerusalem at all. They were in captivity. But it prophesies that 483 years after the decree of, of um, the re rebuilding of Jerusalem, that there will become a redeemer. Guess when Christ came? That, I'm telling you guys, this is phenomenal. It comes the 483 years of when the ministry of Jesus Christ came. 
kind of exciting stuff. So anyway, so he tells the dream to the king and tells him of all the different kingdoms that are, that are going to come. And um, in verse 26, he goes to, actually, I kind of got a little bit of ahead of myself, but in verse 26, we're going to say, the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain the, to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay in your bed are these. And then he explains. I'm sorry, I got ahead. I explained the dream first. But, um, but I love his heart in Nebuchadnezzar giving him credit because they, they everybody said, oh, he can interpret dreams. And him saying, I can't do squat, but God can. And then he just goes on to explain. Um, it's pretty involved. It's kind of exciting to read the prophecies if you'd like to read them. And then in chapter 2, verse 46, we're going to pick it up again after he explains everything that happened. It says, Then ne King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. This is a king. Do you know what falling prostrate is? It's bowing down on your face and you do that normally before kings and people of power that they, as a sign of saying, I have powerless before you. You do that to show your allegiance to somebody. And when you bow, it puts you in the most vulnerable place that someone could chop your head off. That's why it's significant to bow before God. If it's something you haven't tried as far as bowing down, face down, there's a whole book. Um, uh, one of the praise, what's the guy that does the praise? Huh? Matt Redman, Matt Redman wrote, called Face Down, that's all about why it's significant to fall prostrate before God and to put ourselves even physically in that act of submission. This is the king of Babylon that destroyed Jerusalem, and he's sitting there falling prostrate before Daniel because of the power of God and Daniel and, and explaining all that he did about the about the dream. In verse 47, the king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. It's a long way to go from being captive, wouldn't you say? Talk about God turning lemons into lemonade. You get taken as a prisoner go off to another country, and then all of a sudden God's working in you. You're hearing from God. You're trusting him from getting put to death to speaking up to the king, and the king's bowing down before you and putting you in all kinds of power. What's really exciting, too, is remember, because we're coming up on Christmas, that the wise men came from this area of the world and that they knew about the coming of Jesus because Daniel was in charge of all the wise men and taught them about Christ. He taught them about the stars in the heavens that predicted the coming of Jesus Christ. That's why these men, these rich powerful men came all the way from Persia to come to see Jesus born. This happened because Daniel was put in charge. Talk about how God's working in someone's life. I just got chills thinking about that. I, you know, the power of God working in Daniel and 
Daniel's life and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that the influence he had over a powerful nation like that, taken from being captive. Talk about our God. Our God's got your back. Our God, if he can do that for Daniel, what can he do for you? <laughs> Let's go to chapter... Um, well, actually, we're not... I don't want to read this next one because there's too many exciting things in this book, but, um, and we don't have time. But the next thing that happens is Nebuchadnezzar does this goofy thing, and he erects this big, giant um, statue, and he decides that everybody, when they hear all these different music things, it's, and they, it's funny because they repeat it over and over again. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lar, lar, lair, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. So he says this, whenever you hear all those instruments playing, everybody's got to fall down and worship this big giant image. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not having any of that. And so, so, and they're like, I'm not bound to anybody but my God. And so in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown, oh, because he says if you don't do it, I'm sorry, I left out this part of the story. I'm trying to do this overview. He says if you don't bow down, you're going to get thrown in a fire and burned to death. So, so they basically get confronted for not bowing down because they're not bowing down. And then Nebuchadnezzar's really mad. And so this is the answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue you from uh, us from your hand, O king. <sighs> Amen. We want to be like that. How much do we want to be like that in our lives? When we're up against something that we go, I don't care. I have God Almighty. He's got my back. I got the God of all heaven and earth. He's got my back. I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of you circumstance that's difficult. I'm not afraid of you person that's my enemy that wants to stab me in the back. God's got my back. You're talking to the king. And then in verse 18 it says, But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of God you have set up. The image you've set up. Gold you've set up. He's saying, I don't care if we burn. We're not going to bow. Wow, that's some courage and integrity to love God and to take a stand for him. That they would not be afraid. That they would say, I don't care if we burn. We're not bowing to your God. God's got my back. <sighs> it says, okay, we will not worship it. And then Nebuchadnezzar was furious, and then he throws him in the fire. And he heats it so, seven times so hot that the people, the guards that took them to throw them in the fire, burned up just getting near the fire. So throws them in the fire. They come out. They don't even smell like smoke. And so Nebuchadnezzar falls down and says, oh, your God is, again, somehow he comes back to, your God is the God. So anyway, on to some other things. Uh, there's more dreams. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And, of course, everything comes to pass. And then one of the, it says um, in Chapter 5, Belshazzar, which is kind of similar to Belteshazzar, you know, Belteshazzar, so don't get them confused. One's Daniel, one's, uh, it says he's the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but really he's one of, 
it, it just means that he's one of the, the relatives. And he gives a party, and in the party, he uses the goblets from the temple because they destroyed the temple of Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, and took all of the stuff to worship God out of the temple. They have a big wild drinking party and decide that they're going to use God's goblets from, you know, from the temple. And they have a big party. Well, God's not happy about it and writes on the wall. And, and so then, he's, then Belshazzar says, okay, who can tell me? Daniel shows up. And he tells him, and it's not a good prophecy, he says, you have been weighed in the balances and are felt, found wanting. Like, you know, like God weighed you out and said, you lose. <laughs> he tells the guy this, the king, and sure enough, that, that night he dies. Yeah, the king dies. And then we get the prophecy that comes to pass where it says the next kingdom, which is Cyrus, takes over. And... Um, Let's go down to uh, chapter 6 and verse 3. What happens is Darius, it's kind of interesting because it talks about Darius the Mede takes over for Belshazzar, but in some places they think either Darius was a governor for Cyrus because this was during the reign of King Cyrus that we talked about, or that it was another name for Cyrus. They're not sure which. But uh, anyway, it is during the reign of King Cyrus. So in uh, Daniel 6 and in verse 1, it says, It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, which are governors of the provinces, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. In verse 3, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, mind you, this is the third ruler that Daniel has been a part of in this kingdom. Um, so there's a lot of, it's pretty tumultuous time. But you see how, I just love the fact that this is, he's a foreigner. He was one of the people carried away in captivity, and here he is now, reporting to um, this other ruler, but he distinguished himself. And look at how he distinguished himself. It says, um, oh, actually, we haven't read that part yet. But anyway, so they, they put Daniel over everybody, all, over all of these 120 people and the three administrators. So what happens is at this point, at this, in verse 4, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And I love how God, like, how his integrity and his honor in, in walking with God carried him to the place that he was put as being responsible for people that aren't even his own countrymen. And so finally, the, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So then here's what they do. They talk about stabbing you in the back. Again, you can't stop people. People have free will. So you will have people that stand against you. You will have people that will say things about you that will attack you. It's not going to not happen. So you can't control that. It's out of our hands. But God's got your back. So what happens is these guys come up with this diabolical plan to go to the king and say, you should make a rule that 
if anybody prays to anybody, anybody bows down to anyone but you, prays to any God or man during the next 30 days except you, that they would be thrown into the lion's den, is what they say. And then they talk them into making it a decree that cannot be revoked at all. Like, no change of mind, whatever. It's like the most intense decree. So the king somehow gets suckered into doing this. And then we get to see in um, uh, chapter 10. Now, uh, it says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, what does he do? He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. Okay, you're going to die if you pray. So as soon as he hears this, what does he do? Praise. <laughs> Gotta love that. I just, God, how exciting. He's like, talk about faith and, and just love of God. And then what does he do? He gives thanks. Would you be given thanks when you just heard? If you pray for the next 30 days, you're going to die. They'll throw you into a lion's den. Not only does the first thing he does is pray with the windows open, but he also gives thanks to God. And I really think, again, because we're coming up two weeks is Thanksgiving. We're coming up on that. One of the things in life is you can always, with God, no matter what the circumstance, find reason to give thanks because no matter what you're up against, you're not alone because guess what? God's got your back. Amen. So just sort of like, so that's why he gave thanks. He's not giving thanks. Oh, goody. This is such great news. Oftentimes you get bad news and you go, oh, where did God go? Just because there's bad news does not mean God disappeared. Bad news and things happen in life. We cannot let the devil talk us into thinking that because something bad happened, God took a hike. That's not the truth. That's a lie from hell. You know? You hear me? Hallelujah. You know what? It's just sort of, he gives thanks because guess what? He got word that he would be put in the lion's den, but he knows God is bigger. God is bigger than whatever you're up against right now. What is it you're up against? What seems too big? God Almighty is bigger than your circumstance. He is bigger than whatever you're up against. God's got your back. So then it says, he prays and he gives thanks. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying. I'm sure they were stalking him and asking God for help. So they went and tattled to the king. They're just looking for that. And then in verse, um, and then they go tell the king, oh, somebody's, you know, and they, he doesn't tell them who he goes, you know, but they, they just say, oh, the, the decree, blah, oh, no, no, they do, sorry. They, they tell him the, somebody breaks, breaks the decree, and then he says, Daniel, and then in verse 14, he says, oh, he doesn't pay any attention to you, O king, or the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. That's in verse 13. And in verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He had determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Wow. Can you, it says, speaks a lot about who Daniel is, that the king would love him that much. Of how much Daniel walked with God and that the, the, it was fruit in his life that the king would feel so much trust and so much care and so much love for Daniel that he, that, you know, he was trying to figure out how to get out of the stupid ordinance that he wrote. And so then it says in um, verse 18, 
It says it's kind of also interesting. It says, then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. He could not sleep. I mean, he really cared about it. It was like he was heartbroken about this. That imagine, like, the care he must have had that he couldn't even sleep that night. And then in verse 19, <coughs> at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? I love that Daniel's life was such a witness of God that the king got. Even though he didn't believe in, in, in Daniel's God, but that he had seen how God had worked in Daniel's life so much that his heart had faith that maybe, maybe God could have delivered him. What a testimony. Talk about living your life in a way that you're speaking for God and honoring God and your, and your life is a testimony of God's fruit in your life. That he showed up and was just like hoping that there might be a chance that God had delivered Daniel. And then it says, in, um, it with ang- I mean, took, look how vividly it describes this. You can really see with anguish he comes crying, hoping some miracle, Daniel's still alive. Verse 21, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was, I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, no wound was found on him because he trusted God. Then, of course, he throws the other guys in the lion's den. (laughs) He's pretty mad about that. You know, this is an impossible situation. I don't think we've... Have you ever been up against anything harder than that? Now, if God can deliver Daniel, God can deliver you. No matter what it is or how difficult, our God is big enough, guys. Our God is big enough. Then the rest, I just want to kind of give you a little bit of an overview of the rest of the book because there are more revelations also about the kingdoms to come and also more prophecies of, of the end times and future times. In uh, chapter 7, verse 13, it's the first time that they prophesy about Jesus coming to be the Son of Man and talks about Jesus being the king of the future again and, and establishing his kingdom. So there's many different things about the prophecies of kingdoms, real kingdoms on earth, as well as the future kingdom of Jesus Christ. And they're really specific prophecies as well. And then in chapter 12 and verse 2, I just want to kind of go there because I just think this is another kind of cool prophecy. Um, As far as an overview of this book, it says in Daniel 12 and verse 2, it's talking about um, the final days once again. And it says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. This is one of the prophecies. Talk about vividly describing the end times that those, it says, those who are dead in Christ and are asleep. It says that the Bible says when we dead that there is no consciousness nor shadow of turning. It calls death sleep. It means that when we die, it's like we close our eyes like we go to sleep, and you know when you go to sleep in the next, if you don't have a lot of dreams anyway, the next, mo- the next minute you go, 
you open your eyes and it's awake and that that's what death will be like that it is they call it falling asleep because it's not permanent because we are raised again at the resurrection when Jesus Christ comes back and so this is a prophecy one of the many many prophecies talking about the foreshadowing of that our God's a good God he cares he loves us circumstances are difficult in this life aren't they we all have challenges and sometimes they seem hard and impossible and insurmountable but whatever it is that you are up against God Almighty has what got your back God has got your back he is loving he is powerful God can do the impossible there is no problem that you can have in this life that is too big for God God is willing and able to deliver and to heal and to set free. Next week, we're going to get into our final teaching of the Old Testament. I'm going to do uh, the quickest review you ever saw on the Old Testament. <laughs> and all and the, the 4,000 years that we've just covered, because we've covered about 4,000 years, believe it or not, in this series. <laughs> so I'll be giving a crash course in this as well as uh, wrapping it up in the book of Jonah to see because all throughout time what we see is God's love and God fighting for us God cares for you and for me God God loves us and has made us his children and um, so that we can have a relationship with him amen, amen. hallelujah let's pray uh, Heavenly Father thank you so much for your love that it's a comfort life is difficult and challenging but I am glad that not only are you a God of power but that you your heart for us is so big that you are faithful that you never run away that we can know that whatever we're facing you're right behind us that you are good God and then help us to just come to you more and more with our problems to know that we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to cower in fear because you are God Almighty and you love us and you have got our back. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.